all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. I'm not in the studio live today, so I can't take your questions and calls that way, but I will be answering some emails as well as some messages that have been left on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. So if you ever have a question and we're not on the air, that's a great way to get in touch with me as well as utilizing our show email, fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Josie. Hope you're doing well this morning. I can't complain. Uh, We're going to start off this show by talking about hurricane preparedness because June starts hurricane season and we're in the very early stages of June. And somewhat unusually, we had at least two, I don't think they were necessarily tropical storms, but tropical depressions in late May. Uh, So the season has gotten off to an early start. Uh, When we talk about hurricane preparedness, what are some uh, tips and guidelines that, that you have for us? Yeah, absolutely. And we've done um, a couple of kind of disaster preparedness shows uh, on Southern Remedy. And of course, those are available at mpbonline.org that you can look at to get the full, the hour of, of disaster preparedness. But it's so important for us to be as prepared as possible. So with the, you know, the storm that that is recently formed, you know, we don't know where it will uh, land. And oftentimes people get really prepared and then things don't happen and they feel like they wasted their time. But that's the point of disaster preparedness is that we we can't tell all the time when something is going to happen, but we want to be as well-equipped as we can be. And so, you know, one of the most important pieces is having that disaster kit. And we've talked about disaster kits before, um, but it's it's worth repeating that you need to have certain things in your disaster kit. A lot of people think just about kind of first aid supplies and that kind of thing, but there's so many more items that go into it. There's a complete list that you can find at ready.gov. So R-E-A-D-Y.gov um, has a complete disaster preparedness kit list there. But some of the things that I like to make sure I have in mind are things like bottled water, right? We never know, you know, if the the water supply is going to be impacted with the disaster or, you know, if we're sheltering in our home after um, a hurricane, if we're going to have access to clean, fresh water. And so making sure that you have that and it's, you know, it's a a fair amount of of water, you know, a gallon per person per day is what uh, we want to have on hand. So that's a fair amount of water. Also, think about um, if you have a baby and you're going to need water to make that formula with as well. And of course, it's summer. And so it's hot and we sweat more. So we've got to think about making sure we stay adequately hydrated for that. Um, the next thing that needs to go in is, is food. And we want to think about food that, one, is not perishable, right? So things that are going to last a little bit while, a little while because they like, stay in our kit. Um, and then also things that are not going to require a ton of preparation, right? If we're without electricity and our stove is an electric stove, then that cuts back on what we can do or and not being able to use a microwave, those kinds of things. So you know, uh, canned goods are always great. You know, beans are a lovely addition to that as well as canned fruits, canned vegetables, those types of things. Um, think about how you're going to open those cans though. You know, if your can opener is an electric can opener, it's a good idea to just go ahead and stash, um, an, a hand crank can opener, uh, in your emergency kit or even better pop tops, you know, cans that don't require, um, you to have a can opener at all. Um, Think about things like um, peanut butter that will give you some good uh, protein and some healthy fats, but that that lasts a long time in your kit. 
And the way I keep my kit is I stock it. And then as, you know, a, a disaster doesn't happen, I use some of those things from that kit and then I replace it. That way um, it's not, uh, they're not expiring and I'm not, they're not going to waste. I'm, I'm kind of constantly pulling things out of, of that kit as it's time to use them up, but I'm replacing them the next time I get groceries. Um, that first aid kit is important. Um, flashlights are another really good thing to have in there, as well as the batteries that go along with them. Don't forget the batteries. They're a really important part. Um, as well as things like scissors to be able you know, to cut things. Um, and uh, copies of your medical records are always a good idea. Uh, lots of folks keep those on a thumb drive. Uh, to, to have because one thing we learned with Katrina was a lot of those uh, medical records that were solely paper-based kind of got kind of got destroyed during all of that. It's less of that now because um, of electronic health records, but it's still a good idea if you have access to those things, at least blood type and that kind of thing, um, as well as any other important papers that you may have putting on there. And then one that is recommended um, on ready.gov, as well as our disaster preparedness expert we've had on before, is a whistle, right? You know, if for some reason people are having to search for you, having something that makes noise um, that alerts them that you're there is a, a good idea as well. You know, Josie wanted to underscore a couple of things that you mentioned there, and, and the first one is water. You know, I remember, and again, it speaks to the magnitude of Hurricane Katrina that here in the Jackson area, almost maybe at 200 or so miles from the coast, we had some issues with trees down, power outage, and my power was out for probably about two weeks. And I remember uh, when it came on because I was laying in my living room trying to stay cool, and I think I had a little washcloth on my head or whatever, and apparently I had left my ceiling fan on. So here I am in my misery, and all of a sudden the light comes <laughs> on and the fans started spinning I was like yay so uh, make yeah. sure you have enough water because yeah it gets hot and you know uh, we need to stay hydrated uh, for sure in, in situations like that absolutely it's and it's more water than you think you're gonna need you know um, but it's important to have it and just like you know anything else if you know if it if you're not using it and you need water for something else grab that water use it for what you need and then replace it um, and that's perfectly fine, but it's an important, important piece to have on hand. You know, um, I, I too remember Katrina, um, and how hot it was, you know, it was August. It actually was my birthday when Katrina, um, hit and it was incredibly hot. And we did, you know, as far inland as we are in Jackson, we had some significant, um, you know, interruptions in, in electricity and gas and all of these different kinds of things. It's another good tip is to make sure your car's full of gas, right? You know, whenever something is, is, is approaching, go ahead and fill those cars up with gas. That way you've got a full tank um, and ready to go. Same deal for uh, medicines. So if you, you know, if it's nearing time for a refill on those medications and you're able to go ahead and get that, it's a good idea to go ahead and refill those. That way you don't, you know, you're not doing without medication if you're not able to get to the pharmacy. And also you had mentioned that uh, we were talking before we came on air and you said, you know, sometimes folks might steal a little bit from a, from a readiness kit to, just to use in, in a pinch. So it would be a good idea to plan ahead, do this before any kind of storm is anywhere nearby so that you can very calmly go to your kit, go to your supplies, make sure everything is there. Uh, but, you know, as we've seen even when we were quarantining and sort of the runs on various items and things, if we do this in advance before there's a threat of severe weather, then we can rest easy knowing that our kit is is um, you know complete and ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when the first orders for us to kind of you know shelter in place or stay at home uh, came with COVID, my kit was stocked, right? So I didn't have to make this rat mad dash to the store to get a lot of things because I already had, uh, you know, I had about a seven day supply of food in my uh my kit as well as the three days of water of course the water wasn't as crucial then because we you know weren't anticipating any um disruption in water function just because we were stay at home because it wasn't a, a natural disaster we were dealing with but i had really everything i needed so i was able to 
take my time and really just order some additional canned goods to be delivered to my house. I didn't have to run out and get it right then because I was prepared, so to speak, to be able to stay at home for several days without having to need to get out. Uh, What about maybe if uh, a situation happens and, again, the power goes out or something or you're stuck at your home, um, do you think maybe there might be some, I don't know, a deck of cards, some if your family, you know, uh, some games to play so that in case you are kind of stuck at home or after the storm has occurred, there's something to do to keep folks' minds off of it and keep us from going stir crazy. Absolutely. That's an often left out piece because it's not necessary for survival. Uh, but some people would argue that it is because boredom is real, uh, especially if you've got kids that are used to electronics. You know, when the power goes out, it the world comes to an end, so to speak. And so having something to entertain you is great. So depending on the age of your kids, how many people you have in the house. Um, when my kids were younger, I kept things like coloring books and crayons, markers and that kind of stuff. Um, that doesn't amuse them quite as much anymore. Uh, so we have more um, games. One of our favorite to keep in there is Battleship. So we keep um, Battleship handy for, for that kind of thing. Um, as well as a deck of cards because you can, you know, play lots of games that you already know. Plus, you can get creative and make up some card games uh, if you want. And then um, <laughs> what what I don't want to play, which is all that my kids have wanted to play this quarantine, is Monopoly. Um, I mm, That game lasts forever. And uh, I'm not a big fan of it, but my kids are loving it. So we have had a Monopoly set up on our kitchen table for uh, – forever. It's going to last forever. But, uh, you know, whatever your family enjoys is important to, to try and, you know, break up the, the monotony of boredom. Uh, Josie, we might be uh, doing ourselves both a, a, a ill service here, but I'm sort of in the not a big fan of Monopoly camp as well. <laughs> You're right. Sometimes the game just seems to drag on and you get down to, you know, one person has 90 percent of the thing. It's like, go ahead, put us all out of our misery. <laughs> I know. I'm, not, I'm like, what, what do I need to roll to land on your thing so that I can pay you all my money? <laughs> the other interesting thing is on the Walmart recently, I was in the in the games aisle because I'm a big fan of board games and there must have been. 13 different versions of Monopoly. One, although this is probably for both of us, Josie, there's one apparently now that you can finish in less than 10 minutes, which it's like, well, it can't really be Monopoly, can it? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's just, I don't know what that is. But yeah, there's different ones. And, uh, you know, there are some that are based on age now that are kind of smaller boards so that, you know, it's not quite so overwhelming for young people. I do like the principles behind Monopoly and teaching people how to, you know, invest it, whether something's a good investment or not and that kind of thing. It just takes a dang long. Um, My favorite board game is Clue. I'm just a big Clue fan. I have my original Clue um, board game from when I was a kid, and it was handed down to me when when I got it. So it's a super old uh, Clue game, but I absolutely love it. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. I'm not live in the studio today, so I can't take your calls, but I am answering emails and messages that I've received on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. If you ever want to send me a message, you can do so, or you can send me an email, fit at mpbonline.org. All right, Josie, we've got a number of uh, messages to you that we want to talk about this hour. Uh, And the first one is, I think it's a great question, but I want to disagree with it just a little bit. Uh, It says, (laughs) what are some healthy snack items? And they say they're tired of carrots. And that's 
I don't know. I love carrots, and that's one thing. Maybe if I'm forced to eat carrots all the time, but uh, as of right now, that is one of my favorite snacks. You know, it's so crunchy, uh, but uh, there must be some other healthy snack ideas out there as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I love carrots, too, uh, but maybe, I don't know, maybe they bought a whole bunch of carrots from Costco, and they're just tired of munching on all those carrots. Um, but kind of reimagine the carrot and think about different things you can do with that carrot. So um, you don't have to just do carrots and ranch dip. You can kind of slice them into coins and um, use them to dip other things like hummus is my favorite thing to, to dip carrots in. But you can do that carrot cake like you mentioned on the show uh, last time. I don't think that's necessarily a, maybe not the healthiest choice, but it'd be delicious and a way to use them up um, as well as like carrot purees and those kinds of things. But I digress with the carrots. Let's talk about healthier snack options, right? And so what I like to think about with snack time is using um, that snack as an opportunity to get in something that I don't get in during normal meal time. So uh, fruit is often in that category, right? So a lot of people don't include fruit at their main meals, like at lunch and dinner. Lots of folks think it's a pretty um, no-brainer at breakfast to have a piece of fruit, but they don't incorporate it into their other meals. And so, you know, we really are trying to get several servings of fruit a day. I'll try and get at least two servings of fruit, um, up to three uh, for myself during a day. And so if I'm not adding them to my regular meals, then I have to use snack time as an opportunity to get that fruit in. And so um, you know, fruit is one of those things that, uh, gets a bad rap sometimes. People say well, fruit has too much sugar. We want to be careful that we don't lump all sugar into kind of one group. There is naturally occurring sugar and then there is added sugar. And so fruit has naturally occurring sugar in it. It also has vitamins, minerals, and fiber. And that fiber has some protective qualities to the way our body deals with that naturally occurring sugar in the fruit. So it's not something that we need to be afraid of. Now, there are certainly people who are more sensitive to some fruits in terms of their blood sugar, and we want to be cognizant of that. But fruit is an important part of getting enough fiber, getting enough vitamins and minerals, and getting enough antioxidants. Whereas added sugars are what we tend to think of things um, in processed goods, you know, baked goods, that kind of thing, but could also be if you're dipping your fruit in sugar, we don't, we don't necessarily need to do that. Uh, so for me, fruit is a, always a healthy option for snack time. And some of my favorites are the little uh, mandarin oranges, the little cuties or halos, because they don't require refrigeration and they don't require anything um, to prep them. I don't have to have a knife or a peeler to, to peel them. So they're very easy for me just to keep in a bowl um, right now at home, but I usually keep them uh, in my at my office as well. And usually there's a couple of them floating around in my uh, work bag for emergency snacking needs. Um, the other ones I really like are um, apples. I really enjoy having apples on hand. I'm not a huge banana fan. I like banana in things, but not just to eat a banana. Uh, and then... Um, grapes are another good one as well. Again, I'm not having to peel them and, and do a lot of processing, but they do require refrigeration, but really it's whatever you enjoy. Um, a lot of times people buy a bunch of fruit and then it goes bad. And that's one of the reasons we say that, you know, it's too expensive to buy fruit and those kinds of things. So it just requires a little bit of planning with what you will reasonably be able to eat in a time span and having a plan to do so and so it, and so it doesn't just linger in your fruit bowl and not get used we also usually just buy about two fruits per week that are fresh now i buy frozen berries every single time i go to the store i keep those in the freezer but for fresh we buy two different types of fruits um, whether it be oranges and bananas or oranges and apples or grapes and, and oranges, those types of things. Um, and that way we use it all up instead of having, you know, four or five different kinds of fruits uh, at a time. That's just the way it works for my family. Now, in addition to fruit, we can think about um, adding a protein or a whole grain source into there. Um, whole grains are going to have some protein as well. And those are just going to help kind of anchor that fruit down and keep you fuller for longer. 
So, um, you know, adding some nuts as well is a really good way to uh, get a carbohydrate and a protein together as well as healthy fats and fiber together. Um, we want to always be careful with our nuts, though, if weight loss is our goal. Nuts are a very, very healthy food, but they are calorically dense. There's a lot of calories for not a lot of food. So if we're trying to lose weight, then we don't want to be snacking on big handfuls of nuts multiple times throughout the day because that's going to kind of sabotage our weight loss. So my rule on nuts is usually a quarter of a cup of nuts or two tablespoons of nut butter once per day. So if I had peanut butter toast for breakfast, then I'm not going to incorporate nuts into my snack later on in the day. Um, another variety of fresh veggies works well as snack as well. So not just those carrots, but think about things like snow peas or sugar snap peas or um, cauliflower and broccoli. Celery, I'm not a huge fan of, but people love it. Um, so some celery with some peanut butter smeared in it would be a good snack option as well there. So really just think about, really step back and look at your dietary pattern and what you're normally eating for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and see where your nutrient gaps are. And if it's fruit, then add in fruit as your snack option. If it's vegetables, then intentionally to try to add more vegetables in. Um, I like apples, eat one for lunch every day, and my favorite uh, type that I have found are the Honeycrisp apples, uh, but unfortunately they happen to be some of the more expensive apples in the grocery store, but I'm willing to pay that, and they, they're very, very big. In fact, I usually quarter an apple. These I kind of quarter and then I guess eighth because the little slices are so big, but I really enjoy Honeycrisp apples. Now, Josie, this is a personal thing. I read somewhere online that said apples did not have to be refrigerated, so for about a week or so I thought, okay, well, I'll leave them on the counter. But to me, the coldness of the apple is what helps me enjoy it. What, what's your personal thing on, on apples in the refrigerator? So Honeycrisp are my favorite as well. That's what I have um, hanging out at my house right now is Honeycrisp. Um, it's, it's a personal preference. So refrigerating an apple will make it last longer. So, you know, if you're buying them in kind of in, in bulk and you're trying to slow them the, the spoiling of them down, even though apples last a pretty, pretty good while on the counter, then storing them in the refrigerator is the way you want to go. If you enjoy them cold, storing them in the refrigerator is the way you want to go. Sometimes what happens when people put things in refrigerators, like fruit that doesn't necessarily have to be refrigerated, is you forget it's in there. And then it, it goes to waste because it just gets buried behind, you know, ketchup bottles and, and whatever. And so uh, if we're going to refrigerate it and you don't necessarily care whether you're eating the apple cold or not, and I usually tell people to take a couple, you know, a couple days worth of apples out and put them on the counter. That way that's kind of in their face and they see it and remember to eat it. But it's fine if you want to put it in the fridge. Um, it doesn't necessarily change the texture that much there are a few things that are, don't lend itself well to refrigeration like tomatoes um, tomatoes get a very mealy texture uh, when they're refrigerated so um, but they're best when they're uncut they're best stored on the counter uh, the other one I found out uh, that uh, found out when I was hosting our, our, our Deep South Dining, our cooking show on Monday mornings several years ago, and that is a jicama. That's really crunchy as well. Yeah, it is. And it, it's one of those that it's always there at the store, but I feel like nobody buys it but me um, because people don't know what to do with it. And it really is just a nice, crunchy addition to things. So you can add it to slaws. Um, you can just cut it up and use it as a dip. You can just cut it up and eat it. And it really, it's very crisp. It's white on the inside. And to me, it almost has an apple-like flavor. Not sweet like an apple and not tart like a Granny Smith apple. Just a very mild undercurrent of appleness. Uh, this next question has several parts to it, and we've got about two minutes left in this segment, so we might need to carry over to the next segment. And again, we're taping this show in advance, but the question talks about some of the figures about COVID, uh, numbers of Mississippians on ventilators is increasing, maybe hospitals nearing their capacity for ICU beds. And it's saying um, she had not seen this information elsewhere and doesn't hear any alarms being sounding, warning people that we seem to be having a resurgence. And so is there a resurgence? And if so, why do you think so? Yeah, so it's a lot to unpack there. And so I think we'll start with looking at the, is there a resurgence? And so, um, 
to be a resurgence, we have to have seen a steady decline, right? We would have had to have seen the peak be reached, um, a, a sustainable plateau, and then a decline, and then an additional spike. And we really haven't seen that. You know, we've seen kind of steady numbers for the past, you know, week or so. And so have we reached a peak and are working on that plateau? Perhaps. But when you look at um, Dr. Dobbs' Twitter, I mean, he showed uh, to, uh, you know, the last couple of days the areas where things are increasing, and Mississippi was kind of still hanging out there as areas that are increasing. And so I wouldn't necessarily call this a resurgence because I haven't seen a sustainable decline in cases or hospitalizations or ventilator usage or any of those metrics that we're looking at um, to be able to say that there's a um, that there had been that actual peak plateau and then sustainable decline going on there. Um, so I don't think we can we can call it a resurgence. It's just still still in the thick of things. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and nurse practitioner at UMMC. I am not live in the studio today, so I can't talk with you on the phone, but I can answer your questions that you have sent in via email and over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. That's a great way to get in touch with us when we are not on the air. So you can always leave me a message there or send an email to fit at mpbonline.org. All right, Josie, before the break, we had dove into the first part of a question dealing with the number of uh, cases of COVID-19 in Mississippi. Uh, They go on to ask uh, what we need to do uh, other than social distancing and proper hygiene. Yeah, so, you know, I think we have to be very aware of what the, the, the health officials are saying, right? I know we can get kind of information overload, and especially, you know, we've been at home for a while and we've been out of our normal routine for a while and we're, and we're tired of it. You know, we're, we're ready to get back to normal, so to speak, but it's just not time for back to normal. We've got to still pay attention to it, to the health messages that are being pushed out. And so, you know, the governor and Dr. Dobbs do a press conference every day. Uh, Dr. Dobbs goes over those numbers of new cases, new deaths, how many are in the hospital, how many are on the ventilator, all of those different kinds of things, and kind of wraps it up and gives his his recommendations going forward. So it's important to to try and grab um, at least that bit of those press conferences to hear that. Following um, the health department on social media platforms is another way. They release those metrics every single day. You can sign up for email alert. Um, where you'll get those numbers actually pushed to um, your device and be able to see that. Um, following them on Twitter as well um, gives you lots of great information. You know, he, um, Dr. Dobbs has repeatedly said, you know, this is not over. We've got to continue to socially distance as well as good hand hygiene, as well as wearing those masks. So we've really got to, to do our part in, in trying to help decrease outbreaks because as more outbreaks creep up, it's just going to delay things from returning to some semblance of normal even even more. So I wouldn't say that um, we aren't being warned 
Um, it's just uh, sometimes we're, we're, we've got a little bit of alarm fatigue, so to speak. And so um, it, it may not be as forefront in our news feeds and those kinds of things uh, as, it, as it once might have been. But it's still important to, to remember and, and adhere to those things. One thing I'd like to talk about is the social distancing and the, the limiting of large gatherings. You know, the, uh, the, the governor puts out executive orders that have how many people should be in you know, different groups, whether they're inside or outside, and whether uh, those facilities will be able to handle in uh, social, be able to really enforce social distancing or not, and, and those types of things. And I, I just wanted to think about the importance of trying to keep that six feet between folks as well as limiting the number of groups that you're interacting with, right? So uh, my family and I, we've been at home, uh, haven't done any really social events with anyone. My parents have done the, the same. And so actually where I will be when I'm not on the air uh, uh, during this show is I'll be visiting them because neither one of us have interacted with anyone else. The risk for that would be substantially greater if I had interacted with multiple social groups, if I had gone multiple places and not socially distanced and not used a mask in those particular areas, um, then the risk to my parents would be much greater that I had been exposed from being in multiple um, social groups. So just because things are, are open doesn't mean we have to go to, to all of them. Just be... Um, be thoughtful about the areas that you choose to go and the, the guidelines that are set in place to protect not only you, but to protect um, the, the general public from the spread of the infection. You know, and I think it's also important to maybe do some things that might be a little bit out of the ordinator or, or not maybe 100% perfect. For example, it's great when Josie is in the studio in this building here during our Monday uh, Southern Remedy uh, episodes. Uh, but to be on the safe side, we've not only uh, Josie, but all of our doctors on Southern Remedy have started Skyping uh, to uh, continue to bring great medical information to you every day of the week. But then it's just one little small thing that we can do to make sure that, you know, we're limiting our exposure. And so it helps us stay safer and it helps our doctor friends stay safer as well. So, you know, if you've been wondering why we've been doing it via Skype here, uh, for a couple of months now, that's that's part of the reason. Again, it's a, just a small thing to do, and it is a little bit awkward to work with sometimes, but it's certainly, I think, Josie, is part of that solution of, of doing what you can to help out. Yeah, I mean, it really is. You know, when we first started looking at switching to, to broadcasting distantly or distanced, um, you know, my point was the healthcare providers, the doctors on these shows we come into contact with the virus more than you guys do. And so we certainly didn't want to increase y'all's risk by having us that are higher risk expose you. And so it really was something that we could do that is a little, a little awkward, as you said, of course, I'm, I'm getting the hang of it now, but a little awkward to start with to really keep others safe, you know, so whatever we can do to protect um, the general public is what we want to do. We certainly miss having you here in studio with us, though, that's for sure. Well, you know, I, I'm just a party in a box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josie's out of studio this Monday, and so that's why we're recording the show in advance, uh, taking some of the questions that she received via email and also on her Facebook page. If you have a question, uh, you could email fit at mpbonline.org or drop by Josie's Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie and leave a message. And we try to uh, do these every week, but also on these occasions where Josie can't be with us, we gather a couple together to do this whole show like we're doing uh, this Monday. So the next on the list says, what can one do for swollen arthritis joints? Should I continue to move them or should I rest them? It's a great question. And I think the first place we have to start is making sure that the joint swelling um, is truly arthritis, right? And so um, if it's something that's been kind of gradually developing um, and in a joint that we know has arthritis, then that's probably one thing. But a joint that quickly becomes swollen or red or hot is, is a different kind of animal altogether, right? That could be gout um, is, is one potential thing. It could be a joint infection. And so 
Um, if your joints ha have acutely changed, then that warrants an evaluation by a healthcare provider to make sure that we don't have an infection or something like that going on. Um, if it's more of a chronic thing that you've had, you know, kind of uh, enlarged joints, maybe from bony overgrowths and that kind of thing, and we know we have arthritis in that area and it's been evaluated, that that's a different a different situation. And what we want to do with that is really think about what we can realistically do to keep that joint mobility, right? So if we stop using the joint, then we're going to lose function, right? Because that's called atrophy of the muscles around the joint, so to speak. So if I, you know, if my leg hurts and I just don't move it at all, I just get in the bed and don't move it and I put a splint on it, for a little while, that's not going to be a problem, right? That's why we don't really see that much problems when things are, are immobilized from casts and that kind of stuff. But if you've ever had a cast, you know, when you take that cast off of wherever it was, the, that extremity is, is smaller because the muscle mass is kind of decreased in that area. But we want to maintain joint mobility and joint range of motion as much as we can because range of motion or, you know, each one of our joints has a... a uh, a movement that is associated with it. You know, if we think about our neck, we can turn it in multiple different directions, right? We can go back and forward and side to side and really all around in a circle. But um, our elbow has a different set of range of motion, right? It really just kind of goes up and then back down. It doesn't hyperextend into the back or any of those kinds of things, um, as well as, you know, lots of other different joints that have different functions. The hip joint has that ball and socket joint. So it's got a different range of motion and there are things that we can do to support that. That's why if you've ever been in the hospital and um, not been able to maybe move something for yourself, you likely had a nurse or a nursing assistant or a physical therapist come in and take you through range of motion, right? Where we move your arms and move your legs and joints and all of those different things to keep that joint function um, and that, that range of motion intact. Now, we don't want to do things that are going to cause more damage to the joint. So again, knowing what's going on actually inside the joint is it important. You know, is it just arthritis or is there something else going on? And then um, crafting those movements to supporting that joint, right? That's why I'm a big proponent of physical therapy and consulting physical therapists very early um, in arthritis with folks so that we can make sure we're building exercises and um, activity programs that are going to support joint health, not make it worse. So that was kind of a long way around to say that in general, uh, we don't want to not use our joints. We want to keep them mobile, but it also doesn't mean we have to put significant stress on them. You know, if we've got really bad knees, um, then, um, you know, maybe walking or running might not be for us. It may be more of a stationary bike or a swimming pool, those types of things that are going to still allow movement of that joint without causing um, more damage. All right, uh, got about a minute left in this uh, segment, and this is kind of a tangent, but uh, as some of us grow older, we have aches and pains and that sort of thing, and, you know, I like to play tennis, so a couple of days maybe I feel a little bit sore. When when you have aches and pains or minor symptoms, as it were, how do you know when it's serious enough to maybe check with your health care provider? Well, you know, soreness um, is part uh, of using things, uh, using muscles and things, but it shouldn't be so significant that it limits your movement. You know, if you're so sore that you can't go about your normal daily routine, then that, that's a problem. You know, you probably overdid it there, um, as well as if the soreness lasts much longer than, you know, a couple of days. Like normally if you've um, overdone something from an exercise standpoint, then you may be a little bit sore the next day. And then day two, you're pretty dang sore. And then by day three, it's starting to kind of um, resolve itself. If, if we have pain that's lasting longer than those couple of days, then we may need to stop and think, did we actually really injure the muscle or the tendon or the ligament there instead of the, just the little micro tears that happen when we um, exercise. And then if, you know, if it's not relieved by resting it, 
you know, either ice or heat, whichever one makes it feel better for you. Um, you know, a Tylenol or something like that, that, that also may help with some of the pain, then that's time to seek care and get it checked out and make sure that we haven't done any other kind of damage. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and I'm not in the studio today, so I can't answer your questions live, but I can answer them by email, fit at mpbonline.org, as well as dropping me a message over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. All right, Josie, got a couple more to go in this last segment, so we'll pick back up with some things that you got via email or from the Facebook page. And this one says, I eat two slices of 100% whole wheat bread a day that I slap some hummus on. That sounds tasty. Uh, Is Uh there a healthy alternative for bread that is less perishable? I'm guessing that even low-salt crackers probably aren't all that healthy. It's a great question. And so... You know, kudos for trying to get in some whole grains there. It's really important. And for choosing a 100% whole grain bread, that's really important. Um, You know, a lot of wheat breads per se aren't necessarily whole grain. They've got some caramel coloring added to them to make them brown. So it really is important to either, you know, look at the packaging and it should say 100% whole wheat or whole grain. And then looking at that ingredient list, that first ingredient should say whole something, you know, whole oat, whole wheat, whole grain, something like that in there to indicate that it really is a whole grain product. So I think that this uh, individual is not saying that they think that bread is unhealthy because it's not. Bread can be a part of your diet unless you truly have an allergy to to wheat. And then we can do some gluten free options there. Um, But. I think it's the perishability that maybe is is the problem with the bread. They're buying a loaf of bread and not being able to eat it all before it goes bad. And so we can think about freezing that, right? You know, I usually buy actually two loaves of bread when uh, I shop because I'm raising two boys and they are bottomless pits. They like to eat. And so I buy two loaves of bread, but I put one in the freezer that way, um, You know, if we don't get to it for some reason, if they're not into sandwiches at the moment, then it doesn't go bad. But when we're about three quarters of the way through our loaf, I go ahead and get that other loaf out of the out of the freezer and, you know, let it thaw. Um, The other option is you can store your bread in the the fridge Um, that will make it last a little bit longer. And then you can always just take a couple of slices out the night before um, and, and let it thaw and leave the rest of the loaf in the freezer. And as far as other things, you know, crackers are not necessarily bad, but crackers usually also have um, a fair amount of fat added to them, whether it be um, butter or oil or lard or or something like that. Um, So we want to be careful with those and think about not trying to fill up on those crackers, right? You know, most cracker boxes say a serving is somewhere around six to seven crackers. And if you're used to the bulk of what two pieces of bread fills up in your belly, then six to seven crackers is not going to cut it. And so um, adding in other fiber-rich things that are going to help to f- take up that extra space in your stomach is important. So that could be having a piece of fruit. That could be having some vegetables, um, you know, some some carrots or some jicama or any of those other things we've talked about already in the show, um, in addition to whatever you're, you're eating those crackers with. Um, I really like... Um, 
uh, crackers that have nuts and seeds in them because, again, it bumps up the fiber content a little bit. They have more flavor, um, and I usually throw those in with my hummus, and that just kind of helps spread spread it out a little bit more and take more room in my belly. All right, and so not all crackers are created equal. Are there some other things that maybe someone might look for on the box on the ingredient list to know that they might be getting a little better alternative? Yeah, so again, we want to look for some type of whole grain variety there. So, you know, if we look in on the on the back, ingredients are listed in descending order. So whatever the first ingredient is, that's what the predominant component of that food is. And so if we're buying wheat crackers, then we want to see that the first ingredient is is wheat, not enriched flour or, or something like that, because that means that flour is actually processed. It had um, all of its uh, healthy properties, all of the, the bran and things kind of shucked off of it, and then vitamins and minerals added back to it. We also want to pay attention to, are they salted? You know, is there salt that's been added to these and choose the low sodium or the unsalted variety of those? And then the same principles in terms of, of fat and looking at where that fat is coming from. When I look at nutcrackers, I expect for them to have a little bit more fat in them because nuts are a source of fat. If I'm eating just a regular cracker, it shouldn't have a whole lot of fat in it because if it does, that means it's got a bunch of added fat going into it. So, you know, pick ones that have not a ton of ingredients that make sense when you look at the cracker. You should be able to kind of tell what should be in it and then balance it out with lower calorie, um, less refined options like fruits and vegetables. All right. Got about uh, three minutes left or so for this final question that asks, is black seed oil really helpful for hypertension? That's a great question. And so black seed oil, um, if you're not familiar with it, it's actually if we just break it down to black seed. So black seed is the nigella seed. If you've ever heard of um, nigella seeds, um, nigella seeds are delicious. And one of the things that one of my favorite components of um, this kind of rye bread that I eat that has those seeds in it, they're also called black cumin seeds. They are not like actual cumin. So it's not substituting just regular cumin, but anyway, nigella seeds, are one of the kind of longest history um, of a medicinal property to a plant that we have available. And so they've been linked and touted to do lots of different things with lots of different uh, conditions, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, all of these different kinds of things. And there's actually some studies to back up um, the benefit of um, nigella seeds. Now, my problem is using... Um, black seed oil. So it's usually pretty bitter. So you have to mix it with like honey or maple syrup or something like that. So now we're just taking in calories that we didn't necessarily need to eat. We just doing it to counterbalance the bitterness as well as oils are, are refined, right? We're adding just the, the fat, um, component to our diet. So I'd rather see you add actual nigella seeds or ground nigella seeds to things. Um, as with anything just because it's natural and from a plant doesn't necessarily mean it's completely harmless. Uh, nigella seeds when eaten in larger quantities have, have caused some problems in animal studies with liver toxicity as well as um, thinning the blood out too much. So again, it's always something that you want to talk to your healthcare provider about before you add those in. And really it's a very small amount of, um, of um, uh, nigella seeds that are uh, indicated. It's like a quarter of a teaspoon or something like that. Um, and you can just sprinkle that, you know, in your, in your regular food, like you would do uh, with any type of seasoning and, and you can add it that way. So I'm not a fan of refined out black seed oil, um, but I do like nigella seeds in particular to add to foods. Okay. We do have time for this one last question that asks about information on the anti-inflammatory diet. That's great. So anti-inflammatory diet, you know, I, I generally dislike just kind of labeling things as calling it this, this diet, because it usually makes it sound more like a fad diet, when in essence, the anti-inflammatory diet is just a good, basic, healthy diet that's eating real food. So we're staying away from processed junk that has lots of chemicals added to it, refined things that have had most of their nutrients stripped off of it, and then intentionally adding in 
antioxidant rich foods. Um, you're, you know, that's your eating, eating the rainbow and adding in things that are bright green and red and purple and blue and orange and yellow and all of the different colors of fruits and vegetables that are out there. Um, so you can always look up anti-inflammatory diet, but one of the, the quickest tips that I have for folks is looking for ways to intentionally get some dark berries into your diet is a great way to start moving toward um, decreasing inflammation in the body as well as pulling out refined sugar. So stopping and look you know, where you have refined sugar in your diet, whether it be soda or sweet tea, and think about how to pull, pull back from there. All right. So actually, do still? I keep saying it's a last question. I just question. need to keep we, talking. <laughs> uh, but uh, finally, I think this will wrap us up. You know, we've talked in the show before about reducing stress, and um, with the situation in the, around the world, there are a lot of stressful things that might be getting people on edge. Quickly here, maybe in about a minute or so, what are some things that we can do, maybe to think about trying to keep our lives as stress free as possible? Yeah, you know, stress-free is, is something that's probably not going to happen right now, but we can um, work on stress reduction and stress management. I've talked on the show a lot about um, deep breathing and how to do breathing exercises and making sure that we're breathing um, from our belly and not from our uh, chest when we're doing deep breathing exercises. That's one way. Um, distraction is another way. Um, and just kind of paying attention to your surroundings. And then one of the things that that I've done is establish a morning routine. So before my day gets hectic, uh, I have this one little thing that I've been doing since I'm home. And that, of course, when it's not raining, because mine involved outside. Um, my husband says I'm living outside now because I absolutely adore to be outside. But I get my cup of coffee. I go and I sit on my back porch and I listen and I'm listening to the wind in the trees, I'm listening to the birds singing, um, you know, listening to uh, the fish jump in the water and all of those different kinds of things, but I'm intentionally clearing my mind and just listening to the sounds around me, the smells that are, you know, that are there from the flowers and those kinds of things. And it's just my little, little time of peace and solitude before the, the hecticness of the day catches up with me. And I look forward to it every single day when my eyes pop open, I'm like, Ooh, I'm going outside for my, for my, you know, 10 minutes of just really, it's a form of meditation just to connect to the world around me. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.